All right. Welcome, folks. Welcome back to Larger, Freer, More Loving. As always, I'm Matt Levine. I'm Dwight Lewis. And after two really badass episodes with guests, we're sticking with what works. And we're also going to continue a line of thought that we've been working on in these different episodes. So last time we mentioned that we've been talking about current racial dynamics and crises of structural environmental racism like COVID-19 within too narrow of a black-white binary. So we wanted to extend that last time by having a discussion with Latinx philosophers of Latinx thought and identity, Stephanie Rivera Beruz and Taina Figueroa. And today we've got intersectional indigenous activists Desiree Kane and Dewandan Hawita Aldrich. And we wanted to just start off by thanking y'all so much for being here uh, and giving you a chance to introduce yourselves. Uh, and I really like alphabetical order. So uh, Desiree, we'll start with you, please. Hey, Jokesis. Uh, hey, everybody. My name is Desiree Kane. I'm a Miwok organizer who um, lives in occupied Arapaho territory here in Colorado. Awesome. Thanks very much, Desiree. Uh, Wita. Uh, my name is Dawanda Wita Aldrich. I am 26 years old. I'm from the Winnebago tribe of Nebraska and also um, Mohawk from Upazesne. And I am a mother, so it's kind of my oh, main identity awesome. there. Yeah. Um, and a part of SUNY Potsdam is coordinator of Native American Affairs. And yeah. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Thank you for that, seriously. So Matt mentioned COVID-19 at the onset because one of the many disturbing aspects of the pandemic, which doesn't get discussed anywhere nearly enough, is the fact that Black communities, Indigenous communities, are seriously being hit by the virus at five times out of white communities. I think that a lot of people, especially Americans, who should know are naive about the problems facing Native peoples. Can you, um, and we're gonna start with Desiree again, um, can you, Desiree, please speak to this na naivety by giving us a few of the major issues that Natives are dealing with in today's United States? Um, you know, I think that there's a lot of invisibility that people are experiencing and that's contributing to why and how specifically the Indigenous community is so directly affected and hard hit. Uh, there's also systemic racism um, that seeks to, you know, exterminate Native people. So folks are experiencing things like the Indian Health Service is drastically underfunded. Tribes are being sent body bags instead of COVID um, aid kits. There's a lot that's going on right now. Um, it's kind of a complicated question because, you know, we're speaking to entire diasporas of people, <laughs> but when we're looking to, you know, like, why is Indian country hit so hard? I think a lot of it goes to, you know, there are Americans out there in Trump's base that they still think that Native people are extinct, right? So having to work with the failure of an education system and the invisibility and a system that's meant to make people invisible, that is plays out in every single level of governance, government, uh, societal situations otherwise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um I hear that. I um it hurts. Like I'm already hurting already. Uh, I understand the the invisibility to some extent being black, but I can't even imagine uh, because uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so many black people that are in the in, like in the world's face, um, and I really do think that um, when it comes to native folk. Um, that we just don't see, like we literally don't have, there's no visibility there. Um, so you said that, I was like, it hit me, because I was like, yeah, it's a lot. The invisibility is um, so much more clear, um, if I can use that word, um, for Native folk than it even is for Black folk. Um, so we well, don't, I'm gonna, that's, go ahead, go ahead, continue. Oh, it's, that's not also to say, you know, there is a moment that is being experienced right now 
um, in American society where statues are coming down and people are starting to understand colonization. And I think very much so, we can thank the movement for Black Lives, right? Um, folks are, uh, white Americans are having a veil lifted yeah. from over their eyes 100%. Um, to something that Native and Black people have experienced for literally hundreds of years. Yep. Um, so I just look at what's going on right now and know that, you know, our communities overlap, but also like the Black community is not our enemy. And in these all. moments, we are together, like moving forward against uh, a system that hurts and towards a future together that looks more, you know, just and simultaneously honors tribal sovereignty. No, oh, no, that was well said. I appreciate that, I really do. Wida, I'm gonna ask you the same question. Um, can you speak to the naivety of Americans in relationship to the major problems that are facing? Um, and, if, and if we are going broad here, I will ask you to actually be a little bit more narrow and say that are um, affecting your own community. Okay, so whenever I was reading the questions in the email about how I, I'll answer that one because I'm kind of struggling with the Nate. Uh, how do you say that word again? Nave. Oh, naivety. Naivety. <laughs> um, so, because I have I kind of have my own views on um, invisibility. Oh, but, talk about um, that thing. Jump in. We yeah, would love to hear more about that. Well, Matt knows I take a long time for the gears to start turning, so it's like, it just, uh, I'm just going to take a minute. But, um, so I didn't really didn't want to go into this uh, uh, question blind, right? Like, I kind of wanted to, to give, like, a, a clear answer on, you know, why, why Native communities would be hit five, uh, five times harder. So I reached out to my brother. Um, he's the a community health representative and emergency uh, medical technician in uh, in our Winnebago community. And I said, "How would you answer this question?" So what he had said was that, well, number one, the, the underlying health issues that we already have within the community and the chronic illness. So he said, "I was explaining this before to someone, and he said." that there's already an epidemic of chronic, chronic disease and illness within our communities. So when you cross-hatch that with a, with a, a global pandemic, um, okay. there's not a lot that you can do because you haven't treated the first pandemic. So that was his answer. Um, it's definitely not my answer, but I go, I, you know, I, I go to him for any, any health-related topics, really. Um, and the second issue that he had stated was the poor health infrastructure of Indian Health Services, right? And specifically with our community, I'm pretty sure we got out of that Indian Health Service um, format and took it, the tribe took it over by itself. But you're taking a, a infrastructure that, that's already not built for us and Indian Health Services has I mean, you have to think there's are there's enough racial bias going on in there already. So the doctors, the doctors that we get within Indian Health Services, um, they don't know enough about us to care, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's why we had to take it out of that that IHS format and and bring it back to our own community. But that cannot happen in just a, a click, right? You have to, there has to be some major developments and like, okay, so if we're taken out of IHS format, what are the new developments that we're gonna do now? And how are we gonna make this our own infrastructure? And you cannot, you can build the infrastructure again, but you really can't replicate another colonial infrastructure. So then, we're, so then you got to go back. You really just got to go back into the community, community and look. And there's horrific things that happen in in, in Indian Health Services um, throughout the United States. It's 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 really awful. Um, 
but um yeah i kind of kind of got lost in that question there what was it <laughs> yeah. no so that that's that that's great. perfect Wita. so i mean one of the things that's really interesting there is is you know we talk about this issue of of invisibility around the the extent to which uh covid-19 is hitting indigenous communities right now but even if that becomes visible there's other these there's these yeah. other invisibilities yeah. behind yeah. that that make it so 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 people don't understand that sufficiently yeah. right so i mean if we're talking about underlying health illnesses uh in indigenous communities right we've got to talk about yeah, the yeah. to which you know in in uh the area that that Wita and i are right now um general motors uh alcoa uh and reynolds have a really really long history of dumping polychlorinated biphenyls pcbs uh at uh Akwesasne, the the mohawk reservation here Right, and this not only in and of itself leads to significant health problems, this is a traditionally fishing community that now if you've got PCBs in the waters everywhere here, this causes serious problems for traditional diets, leads to uh, uh, other problems like uh, diabetes, which again is one of the significant comorbidities for, uh, uh, for COVID-19. So, so I guess I guess I'm 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 stuck on this notion of uh, invisibility here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so I'm wondering if if either of you have thoughts here. Um, you know, there's what what what's the relationship between invisibility and sovereignty here? Um, because it seems like one of the I guess it seems to me like one of the the ways of dealing with this invisibility is is recognizing the sovereignty of indigenous tribes more appropriately. But there's also that invisibility that leads to Americans just yeah. doing what Americans do and taking yeah, over. Yeah. So, so I guess I don't I don't know. Uh, was there a question there anywhere? Uh, <laughs> I, I also am intrigued. Um, by the layers of invisibility. I think that's one thing mm -hmm. that you really allow me to attune myself to, Wita, is these layers of invisibility. Um, and I, uh, it's something that I think a lot more Americans need to be attuned to, um, is that this isn't just, um, we're not talking about just poverty. We're not talking about just the pandemic. Um, we're talking about um, uh, poverty that has been like placed on a certain community um, and that um, the uh, and that America has allowed other people to keep them in that place um, by allowing land to be used um, uh, unhealthily, um, and so it's like America is also behind the layering of the problem. Um, and I'm just like, this is uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's sad. It's really sad. Um, the amount of layers of invisibility that we have. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. My question is, is, is along with yours, but it's like speaking to these layers of invisibility, what do you, what do you have to say? Anyone can jump in too. I want to say a big perpetrator is the education system that we all go through. You literally do not learn anything. <laughs> um, I know I'm, well here, well, so here's another fun layer. Um, <laughs> um in uh my my elementary education so i must have been in second grade or even in first grade i attended the saint augustine's indian mission school right so that was traditionally a boarding school and the board there's so all throughout indian country you you have this model here that there's boarding schools in different native communities i don't know about all native communities but there are many right desiree they're almost it's it's crazy because there's the there's the larger boarding schools that are that are within the United States that children were sent out to, but there's also this really invasive boarding schools that were placed right on reservations and wow, have wow. This enormous influence um, in our lives. It's so crazy and critical. But let me let me jump back to that. So in the and I think it was either first grade or second grade. Um, must have been social studies i don't know it was a textbook and we're talking about midwestern plains indians and what i had seen was on, like on the page a graphic of a, a buffalo and then the indian so to speak on the buffalo 
riding it in this like majestic wind I don't know <laughs> so that's what that's what I remember is, is first and second grade and I remember looking at that like did we ride buffalo <laughs> so <laughs> um so so you know you can you can call education a perpetrator of our miseducation about what's going on with with indian country and our and our existence really right. um so, so even the even the education system is not only making you um all right like outside of the reservation there's an invisibility but also inside the reservation like it seems that um, the education is also um, make like layering invisibility towards yourselves. Oh um, uh, yeah, it's it's so pervasive, and it's meant to it's meant to, gosh, I don't know, not cover our identity, but destroy our identities wow, wow. completely. And um, yeah, so. and very explicitly so, right? I mean, so so yeah. part of part of the the boarding school ethos was this horrific idea of kill the Indian, save the man, right? Mm. So, so this is this is a very explicit, open, uh, uh, again, open white supremacy from from uh, uh, Americans here. Wow. Yeah, really. Um, and then another perpetrator is media. And I know Desiree can speak can speak to those notions. Um, but I mean, any, um, what are, what are those called? The old cowboy movies? I forgot what those are called. Western. Pacific. Westerns, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Spaghetti yeah, Westerns. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It just seems like it's formulaic, right? I mean, you have a generation who's exposed to those Hollywood films and you get this idea of what, it, what an Indian is. And it's, I mean, it, it, it's awful. And then there's stereotypes of like stoicism, Stoicism. I don't know. I <laughs> I, try, I struggle with so many words, but um, there's a, a stereotype of stoicism and those types of things. But it's like um, really stripping away the fact that we're we're multidimensional human beings with identities here and here. We have all we have so many components to us, and you're only exposed to one image. So if you're only exposed to one image, your personality, or you must not have personality. You guys must not be real. So um, that gives me the right to manipulate, manipulate you and um, the, the long list of genocidal, genocidal acts that, um, that, are, that are done, that are being done, that are, were and are being done. So, so Desiree, now I am gonna ask you about the um, invisibility of media. Um, just speaking off of what uh, Wita had to say, I know that um, being, you know, I'm going to relate it back to being Black because that is my experience. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a certain way to be in the world based on media Black. Um, and I know that I'm always buttoned up against it. Um, and so I know that you do a lot with media and you also don't just do it in a way that um, is, tra is a traditional way. You just had a documentary come out of Sundance, right? Um, and so we just love to hear what you had to say about media and relationship to Native folks. Well, <laughs> it's a broad question. <laughs> it's a broad question. So the media is part of a broader system that is incredibly like patriarchal. And so that plays out in media a lot where um, people are presented with just like a regular number of tropes about Native people, right? So you've got the noble savage, you've got the earth mother, you've got like, there's a handful of these tropes. And like, you never see like Eric, the high school teacher who's also <laughs> Native, or you know what I'm saying? You're yeah. never presented with um, people who look and act like a community it's it's very like dehumanizing because if you don't fall into one of those tropes and you've grown up like that's the only messaging or representation of yourself that you see you wind up with cognitive dissonance about who you are what are you supposed to be what's, what's performing identity like what's actually like it creates a lot within a native person to like only ever be greeted with 
these same tropes of how we're supposed to be. And then when you don't fit into that, um, it makes it really hard for our youth. And that also makes it, um, you know, that ties into why we can't and should not have racist mascots, right? Because that's, those all play into those dehumanizing tropes that uh, people are presented of, of Native people. There's a really good film. It's called Real Engine, like R-E-E-L-I-N-J-U-N. You should never refer to Native or Indigenous people as engine. Um, but that is what um, the film is called, and it's for a reason. You should just watch it. But that really um, was a big contribution to the discussion and framing around how Native people are presented in the media um, so that we can bust it up a little bit. Americans will look for, like, especially like in the environmental world, they want Native people to come in and save everyone instead of being in a relationship and building forward together, like on a continent that we all live on, um, with which is like more inside indigenous like um, life ways and understanding. So they prop up media darlings that fit within what they're trying to portray. So that's why you get people who like, you know, are media darlings, but then they're not part of the communities that they're constantly speaking on and it's not constructive. Like they don't, they're not grassroots or, and it's, um, it's very complicated. Another layer of invisibility um, comes from multiple jurisdictions of authorities have jurisdiction over native people. Uh, but when something goes wrong, like somebody's mom or sister or daughter goes missing, they play hot potato with all these different jurisdictions with cases. And that actually leaves the family falling through the cracks and the missing person falling through the cracks. You can really see that with the missing and murdered indigenous women, girls, and two spirits movement. So that's that hashtag MMIWG2S. Um, but you know a lot of this and what Rita is speaking to is all very like systemic and built into the system people always say like the system's broken it shouldn't be like that no this is how the system is supposed to work it doesn't care yep yep you know so this is the system working how it's designed so Desiree, you brought up college mascots. I heard that and I just latched onto it. And a lot of organizations, mm -hmm. colleges, teachers are putting out land acknowledgement statements right now. Um, this seems to be a good step, but I worry that it is often done as window dressing instead of something more meaningful. How do you feel about it? Um, regardless, what are two or three other, other things that, that non-Native folks can do in the wake of this issue? And I'm gonna ask you the same question after after um, Desiree Rita. So, uh, feel about those statements, and then um, and we'll just forget about the non-natives. Let's just focus on native right now. I'm tired of talking about non-natives. Um, uh, how do you feel okay. about? It? Well, I feel two ways. Like I'm of two <laughs> minds because one. When I hear a land acknowledgement coming from somebody non-native in a space, it gives me an understanding of like where they're at in terms of like how they're trying to build together. Um, but I also know that it can be like kind of a rubber stamp, like check the box thing to be good to the Indians. You do the land acknowledgement and move on with your meeting. Um, and that does happen. A lot. But like the very short version of the non-natives question, like what can people do? We need land back. Mm, mm, land mm. back, land back. That's the answer. The all roads lead back to land back for indigenous, black, and Asian, like colonized people have built this nation and land is power and we need land back. Yes. And white America 
does owe very specific things to Black and Indigenous communities that are very distinct. And I just believe that, um, you know, settler uh, race and class traders who care to be in good relationship with people around them, they do that due diligence work to understand what the what is uh, distinct about what is owed. And then they do work to do that. But when you start looking at like, Chinese folks built the railroads, black labor has built everything. It's all on stolen land. So at a certain point, all of us together as people on this continent who are under, who are unwilling participants in colonialist capitalism, like it goes back to land back. Yeah. We just all need to like get our hands on land, yeah. everybody. But in a way that honors indigenous like sovereignty of the tribes, you know, and there is a way to do it. Then, you know, um, there's groups that model that very well, but we just need land back. Acknowledgement is not enough. We need reprobations. Right. Acknowledging need that you've stolen something, that we've stolen something and continuing to steal that thing is not, is not an end of anything, right? Get the F out of here. Right. Like, I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we to same question. I know, we, you know. Now I'm re I'm ready to I'm ready to yell. I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> but I'm holding myself back. Um, so um, Desiree told us about this window dressing, um, possibly this uh, two ways of understanding and checking the box. Do you have anything to add? Um, since you are literally working at a university at this moment, um, and so I'm just wondering if you might have anything that you want to add. Um, I, I guess I could speak to it a, a little bit. I definitely agree that, you know, an, an acknowledgement is not only not enough, but it's also a part of a process that has to happen. So if you don't know that you're standing on Indigenous land, you can't really give it back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and what, what I found working in, oh, what I found working in um, um, higher education is that as as quickly as you want to teach something like let me just give you this knowledge and and you know um tear down that ignorance so it's really a slow <laughs> it's really a slow 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 process learning um it, itself so i think that there needs to be because it's it's really it's not it's apparently when um, people engage in the land acknowledgement, it's it's not enough, right? So they're like you acknowledge, but their actions afterwards do do not work towards decolonizing or figuring yeah. out yeah. how to how to let go of that land. But you wonder why, right? So if I knew I was standing on someone's land, I would be like hey, I need to, you know, at least make something right here. But it, it just kind of goes to show the the status of, of where we're at. Why is that not wrong enough? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're not acting promptly. But, I mean, I think it goes back to that that same notion that it's so pervasive that my, my belief system, uh, my opinion, the way I view the world is so, so right that I'm gonna continue just to stand on this line. We've, we've been here, I'm not gonna, so those types of things. So um, really I think the, the, the land acknowledgement is a, a pathway or even a doorway to that really extensive education that you need in order to you know, want to give that, that, that line back, I guess. Yeah. So you, uh, it seems to be like you're saying it's that it's the pathway from just checking the box to understanding. Um, yeah. But the thing that sucks in that, and I heard you bring it up, is that, you know, um, Native folk have to be patient, right? We have to sit, it's like, maybe we're like s patiently waiting for you to like check the box and then like, oh, acknowledge me. And then finally you're going to get to understanding. Um, and it's sad. It's sad. Um, and think about, it's like the sad part about it is the how many, you know, we're not talking about decades, right? We're not talking about half a century. We're talking about the centuries that we've been patiently waiting 
patiently waiting. And then we want to talk about morality in relationship to this, especially on, on the backs of white folk, right? Um, and, it's, and you're going to look at me, you're going to look at my brown brothers and sisters and tell us that we're immoral, right? That we're asking for too much? It's like, who? Like, I, we've been patient. We've been waiting. Like, it's time for you to move from the box. It's time for you to move from acknowledgement and get to understanding. And understanding means giving that land back, right? Um, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to, I'm actually taking what you said and I'm like trying to tie it to Desiree um, and be like, we've got to get to this movement of understanding, especially for these non-native folks. Um, and especially, I'm gonna just call it out for white folks. White folks. Right? <laughs> um, let's just really call it what it is. Um, I, but I'm gonna sit here and, and I won't say, I won't like shy away from this, you know, black people, um, are just as ignorant oftentimes in relationship to Native folks as, um, as white folk, you know? And I apologize for that. Um, it's something that uh, while, we were, while we were setting up this episode, I told um, Matt about it. I was like, you know, I am so naive, like, and I need to learn more. Um, and I need to step up my knowledge to, to be in the understanding uh, camp also. Um, so it's not something that I'm like, yeah, yeah, I would shy away from and say that we've, that blacks have got, you know, because um, I think we're also there to be serious. But um, so Oklahoma actually gave land <laughs> land back recently. So now there's a model out there. Hey. Uh, you can honor the treaties. So yeah, you know, so it it is there. And I want to say there's a there was like a, a toolkit on how to do a land acknowledgement. And I know some of the people who are working. Working, working on that toolkit were central to Oklahoma. So that's that's where it starts, that education process, because we're so just mentally unaware of everybody <laughs> that's not at the tip of our nose. And then um, to an actual process on like, here, here's actually how you're going to give our land back is like, we actually have these treaties that you signed and created between um, within our communities. Now uphold those. So there's a model there now. I mean, I think that's, that's pretty big. So I, I think we're going forward in, in a way, um, but we have to just continuously grease that wheel every day. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's interesting that you talk about models here for moving forward um, because we've been, we've been talking a lot about um, problems facing indigenous communities in, in, uh, on Turtle Island for centuries here. Um, but you both have lots of experience um, resisting these problems and knowledge of resistance against them. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering if you can uh, tell us about uh, uh, any, any part of that resistance you might want to focus on, either from your own knowledge or your own experience, um, or uh, Desiree, if, if, if you could tell us about uh, some of your experiences at Standing Rock, uh, that would be great, please. Um, okay. So... <laughs> These are such broad questions. The only thing I can really say about Standing Rock is like I go and people ask like all the time in a lot of different ways, like what made you take action and go live at the Standing Rock camps for almost eight months? And they're wanting to know like what is it that makes someone take that next step? And I think um, that it's important to understand that the front lines like that are for a specific set of people who have that mindset that they're yeah, ready to yeah, go out and yeah. weaponize their bodies and the hold the space that they're in. Um, but, you know, people have a lot of like this kind of, um, I don't know how else to say, like guilt or shame if they didn't come out to Standing Rock and like didn't do that. But I have to really emphasize, so one of the things that kept everybody out there and kept everybody going was that we knew that the eyes of the world were upon us. We knew that the aunties were praying, the grandmas were sending up prayers, the uncles were thinking about everybody, two-spirit folks, like everybody 
we were enveloped in love from the entire world praying for us. And that is equally as important as standing on that yeah, front line. Yeah, like yeah, sending yeah. that sort of energy. And it sounds a little like, I don't want to sound like Marianne Williamson or anything, you know, like, but um, having that kind of energy and those eyes on you, like there's no shame or guilt in that not being the puzzle piece that you're not, you're not that puzzle piece. There are so many opportunities that we have every single day to understand where and how we can cure one another, right? And what we're in these moments is like what we're fighting for now is each other. Mm-hmm. We're, we, we're not fighting for the planet right now. We're in a pandemic. We are fighting for each other's lives, literally. And so understanding what puzzle piece you are, whether you're working within the institution, so like know what baskets museums have and get those back to the community. Like, or maybe you're the puzzle piece that is like a language person. And so you're going to work on getting language back and resources back to communities that are losing language. If you're a teacher, making sure that you're teaching truth in history and not this weird ass, excuse me, this weird colonizer narrative that is being spoon fed to everybody. Like it's not black folks fault that you don't understand native communities, not, you know, it's no one's fault. Like we're all just monetized cogs in a wheel that get chewed up and spit out by capitalism. Nobody on this podcast is one of the 2,100 global billionaires. <laughs> I'm sorry to tell you that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so like um, the thing that makes people take action is when it's really like personal to what your lived experience is. But then I also think like, you know, as a non-man, I know I have to advocate harder for myself for pay and things like that. And then that's a front line that, you know, so um, women and non-men are also conditioned to be, to wait until you're asked to like run for office or wait until someone comes up to you and is like, will you help me? And at a certain point, like, you just bust a spring loose and you're like, I can't wait for permission anymore. I'm not waiting for anybody to ask because at like with the Dakota Access Pipeline, there's the water of 18 million people downstream is at risk. Like it's in these urgent moments. Like, I don't think people understand that Standing Rock was the last nail in the coffin. It was right here in this long line of a pipeline. There was years to try and stop it, try and stop it, and efforts to try and stop it. But that was like a crisis moment. And I think that that's what's happening right now also is we have reached like our boiling point as the people, you know, and so we're starting to realize like what indigenous elders have been saying for a really long time, which is to teach us about the importance of interdependence with the planet with each other and every time we model that um, understanding of how important interdependence is we break apart that american ego you know model that is about individual action and taking and never being within the natural order so don't wait for anybody to ask you if you know that something is the right thing to do you just freaking do it. You do it, and then if people want to come down on you for doing what you thought was right, like, that's their water to carry and not yours. So, just freaking go for it. I'm kind of notorious for being one of the people that, like, gives away the keys. (laughs) But no, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, it's systemic racism requires systemic resistance, right? And, and we're all gonna have uh, uh, different pieces uh, uh, to play in the systemic resistance if we're gonna undo 500 plus years of, 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 of just awful, awful expropriation. 
Um, so I mean, right. so this is this is interesting. This brings us uh, 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 to some to some other ways that that we can resist um, in terms of making those connections between what's going on at Standing Rock, what's going on today, and what's been happening for these five hundred plus years. So, so uh, Wita, you know, what, what first brought you, Desiree, and I working together uh, was this conference on the doctrine of discovery uh, that, that, go, that, you know, brings us back to, to the beginning of this process. Um, and and you, you organized this conference with the New York State Poor People's Campaign uh, and indigenous activists from all over Turtle Island. Um, so uh, what can you tell us about that project and uh, where it's headed from here? You're muted. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't know where to start. Um, so what can you tell us about the doctrine of discovery? Well, I... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Desiree is talking about if you feel that there's something um that you need to do just go and do it right um all right let me refer to my notes here because I, I took some notes um so part of my position at potsdam um within the job description is educating the campus community on indigenous <laughs> um issues needs and and trends right um and I sat there and took it very seriously because I, I understand how that how higher education actually can be really influential to people. And then when you're sending out um, those students into the workplace, back out, back out into the world, um, that whole um, process there, um, it's, it's, it's really critical what we teach. So, um so i didn't i honestly i like i didn't even know where to start because i i looked at i looked at that job description and it was just like educate the campus community on <laughs> indigenous issues needs and trends i was like what you know um like well well you know so where do i begin <laughs> um, oh my goodness so so I went down to the, to the micro level of what the students were experiencing, um, and there was already there was already a, a past of experiences that people were openly speaking about with their experiences. And then I looked at the, uh, there's a little thing here. Um, I looked at the the current uh, the current status of students currently still going there, and just looking at looking at those those things that um, their experiences, I started to really started really started to understand um, the words that you speak, Matt, the, the white supremacist projects, these ultimate projects. And I know you, you spoke it before when you're talking, when you use the word project, I was like, you're absolutely right. This is a, this is a project. It's, it's formulaic. It, it, it's, it's built. So I'm like, you know, how do we, um, how do we educate about about these these systems that indigenous students are, are going into all right so um actually there was a first and Pres presbyterian church that is a couple blocks i believe away from potsdam um and one of my grandpa's here's wife reached out to me Came to the came to the office of Native American Affairs and said, "Hey, um, I'm down here at this church. Come, come eat lunch with me. I, I, you know, I want to, want to, want to meet you. You're, you're, you're one of Harry's um, uh, grand granddaughters, right? So, I was like, okay. Um, I so I went to the church and then I said, I'm at Holly. So you know Holly, but we all work in, work in, work in the the group and we we were just talking and then um i think i attended the racial equity institute training and the facilitator there mentioned something about a popable and then she started mentioning the laws and then i was just like oh my goodness and um i walked away from that training driving throughout potsdam and, and what the facilitator had explained was the how 
housing program that happened within uh, the United States. How, how did white families come upon housing? And how, and how um, um, other communities, uh, black indigenous, um, sorry, I'm, I'm screwing that all up right now, but um, communities fall into these poor communities, right? Um, and I was driving, I realized how old those houses were, and I was just like, this time is, uh, when this housing program was created, it's still existing today. So I want to share that with Holly, and then she, she started talking about this word called contemporaneousness. She's where, where she explained it, explained it a lot better, and then she brought up, and she's like, well, there's a lot of people who are doing work on the documentary story. And, um, and I was just like, Oh, okay. And then, you know, I kind of didn't really even know what that was at the moment. And then, um, then um, she got me connected to Suzanne, who we now work with now. Um, and on and the first couple of emails, I was ignoring them, honestly, because I was like, I don't know what this is. And <laughs> then I started really critically just started reading. And then it was also connected to the United Nations Declaration of Rights on Indigenous People. And then I was just like, um, okay. And I was like, this is something that we um, need, need to educate on because the more I start learning about the doctrine of discovery, you find out it's the, it's the foundation. And as we're learning from um, Agnes Williams with the Indigenous Women's Initiative out of Buffalo, New York, it's actually US law. So I'm like, whoa, okay. So, so you, if you, you want to know about Indigenous needs, trends, and issues, because I then sorry I'm kind of kind of going off there but um it, you look at it and I find that higher education would simply just perpetuate these problems if you're not looking at the root problems yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where yeah. this started and um so Matt and I we've been at least working on this over a year now but the education about the doctrine discovery has been so supplemental to literally everything Related to everything, um, it's found it's foundational in law, but it's also perpetuated throughout all institutions. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna read the Mark Charles definition so that you know watchers understand like okay, so what is the doctrine of discovery? <laughs> um, okay. Also, everybody needs to get this book and read it. It's absolutely incredible. Um, so anyway, so the Doctrine of Discovery is a set of legal principles that governed the European colonizing powers, particularly regarding administration of indigenous land. It is the primary legal precedent that still controls native affairs and rights and international law formulated in the 15th and 16th century. From a theological perspective, the legal and political role of the doctrine of discovery is rooted in the dysfunctional theological imagination that shaped the European colonial settler worldview. So this genius, Mark Charles, just lays it all out for us and says, hey, here's where, here's where your racial biases are, are coming from, and um, here's how they're being perpetuated in, in these institutions. And um, so really, it was kind of just like a, kind of a, a, road, a roadmap there. Um, yeah, I'm gonna stop there because I'm, I'm kind of losing it here. <laughs> no, 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 but I mean, I think that's perfect. I mean, so, so this is, this is sort of, I mean, this explains how I felt since, since, since we've been working on this too, is like, if, if we want to understand systemic white supremacy in, in, uh, uh, the Americas, uh, we need to go back to the beginning and, and the beginning of, of the process of, stealing land and bodies uh in in uh the americas was this doctrine of discovery and and uh so so thank you for for turning me on to that but also in particular for showing me uh not only this mark charles book uh unsettling truths the ongoing dehumanizing legacy of the doctrine of discovery uh but also this documentary here uh, the Doctrine of Discovery, Unmasking the Domination Code, uh, directed by Sheldon Wolfchild and produced by Stephen Newcomb. Uh, this is another thing, folks, uh, who are interested in um, the doctrine of learning more about the Doctrine of Discovery uh, should take a look at. Um, so, 
uh, we, uh, Desiree had to leave uh, at the top of the hour. Um, so uh, we just had uh, one more question uh, that, that we wanted to, uh, that we wanted to get your take on here. Um, because we're, we're trying to, we're trying to make things really real for people here. And uh, one of the things that I think is, is really real for, for you and for, for Desiree um, is that both of you are fighters. Um, you, you deal with a lot. You continually resist a lot. So what keeps you going? What keeps you fighting uh, day after day? I know, I, I saw that question, I was like, I think there's like a hundred answers to that. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I, I would, it would come down to uh, my son needs to live in a fair world. Mm, mm. And it shouldn't just be at the, at the boundaries of, of a reservation or a native community. It should be the entire Turtle Island. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's what it, um, that's kind of just what it comes down to, I suppose. No, that's fantastic. No, I feel that. I feel that. I think, um, you know, it's like, I'm not going to lie, I almost started uh, tearing, <laughs> almost started tearing up a little bit there because I feel that um, also for, I know my mom feels it every day for me and my brother. Um, I know that if I ever have um, the children, I will feel the same way. Um, um, and it breaks like that's the thing that really breaks my heart um is that we've been existing in this space for so long um and not being safe right um not being secure um and really at the whim um of of america and white folks um uh, and it's sad it's sad um and to know that you have to bring you know children into a world that you already know that they're going to be disenfranchised um it's just like disheartening mm -hmm. like uh and so i get that fight i get that fight um for sure uh, yeah 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 i really do i'm like i'm like <laughs> yeah my heart my heart's hurting now my heart's hurting now for sure um i appreciate you sharing that with us mm -hmm. i really do absolutely and um, i appreciate you bringing bringing community together as you have right so this is this is one of the things i think desiree was spot on about here is right we need this we need this systematic resistance and we need to see how groups that have been pitted against each other historically by powers that be have so much to bring to each other um and and the work the work you've done on that front is so so important uh so thank you thank you very much Wita. um and thank you, thank you for uh, taking the time to to spend some time with us really, today on the show. We really appreciated it. We really did. Absolutely. Thank you.